Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, rock and roll is here to stay. I'll tell you how I know. Welcome to CC with BB. Uh, yes, I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And um, the other day, my car needed some work. I waited at the nearby Whole Foods and had some lunch. My companion was a book called One Mind. Its author is Larry Dossie. I've had the pleasure of meeting with Larry in his hometown of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and communicating with him about our overlapping interests. Because we are both physicians, we share a way of taking stories and deriving practical conclusions, just as we take histories from patients and try to find a way to help them. He is a superb writer. He has gathered numerous stories that suggest our minds are not tethered to our brains within our skulls, but can roam freely through space and time. One story is about a woman who suddenly worried about her son, who lived thousands of miles away. She tried to ignore the feeling, but it would not go away. Suddenly, a string of numbers appeared in her mind, and then she felt an urge to dial the numbers. A nurse answered and told her that her son had been in an auto accident. The doctor said he would be fine. How does that happen? Larry says, non-local consciousness, non-local mind, the one mind. Larry Dossey is an internal medicine physician, former chief of staff of Medical City Dallas Hospital, and former co-chairman of the Panel on Mind-Body Interventions National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine at the National Institutes of Health. He is executive editor of the peer-reviewed journal Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing. He is the author of 13 books on the role of consciousness and spirituality in health, which have been translated into many languages around the world. His most recent book is One Mind, How Our Individual Mind is Part of a Greater Consciousness and Why It Matters. He lectures around the world. 
Welcome back to the show, Larry. Bernie, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for the invitation. You're very welcome. Uh, you've, you've written a lot of stories and gathered a lot of stories about what I call sometimes coincidences uh, that have influenced your ways of thinking about the one mind. Could you tell us some about, about your own personal experiences with the one mind? They all have to do with uh, my practice of internal medicine uh, and uh, my own personal experiences. Bernie, the, f the first uh, year I was in practice as an internal medicine physician, uh, I had an experience that really changed my way of looking at the nature of consciousness. Uh, I had a dream one night, and I, uh, when I woke, I thought, gosh, this is the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. I couldn't make head or tails of it. Uh, but, uh, it had to do with the son of one of my colleagues, uh, at the Dallas Diagnostic Association where I was practicing. And so I saw this child on an examination table and, uh, there was a technician at his head who was trying to do something to do some, some sort of t test. This is and your dream. This is your dream. Th you're th th this is my dream. And so, I thought that uh, th this technician was trying to do an EEG, an electroencephalogram, a brainwave tracing, and the kid just went crazy, fighting the technician, screaming, crying, wouldn't cooperate. Finally, the technician threw up her hands and said, I quit. She turned around and walked away. That was the dream. Uh, I got up and went to work, and uh, at noon that day, I was... This is in real life now. I was sitting at uh, a lunch table with the father of this child, who was my cardiology colleague. And uh, in uh, walks his wife carrying this three or four-year-old boy, and he was really upset. She proceeded to tell her husband, the cardiologist, my dream. I, I, I was stunned. It was in perfect detail. And then she left, and I asked my colleague, could I have known that you were going to bring this boy into the hospital and have an EEG done on him? He said, don't be silly. Nobody knew about this. He had a febrile seizure yesterday, and we called the neurologist who said, bring him in today. Let's do an EEG just to be sure nothing else is going on. I didn't know what to make of this. Uh, this thing was played out in my dream in detail. And so I told my colleague about my dream about his son. And he was shaken up. He knew and I knew that unless I was lying, and if this were true, the world worked a heck of a lot differently than we had been taught in medical school and, and university. He wouldn't talk about this. He was so shaken up by it. He never brought it up again in our relationship. And I knew at that moment that I had tapped into some way of knowing that threatened people. And it was a long time before I felt comfortable about uh, writing about this experience and trying to uh, excavate the meaning of it. I, I, I Thanks for that story. And it's really relevant to me because a couple of days ago, I had a dream. And this is the first time it's happened to me, uh, where I had a dream that told me something about what was going on at the place that I'm working, uh, but among a couple of colleagues of mine. Uh -huh. uh, it, it, it was not as clear as the description you're describing, you're having, but one of, my co one, of the th one of the three colleagues involved told me some of the facts of the circumstance that she knew that confirmed the kind of sense that I had that this was a pretty vivid dream, not as vivid as yours from what it sounds like, but pretty, one of those things that just stands out. And I knew there was something to it. Yeah. And, she, and she confirmed some of the details that I had felt were there in the dream but couldn't articulate. Uh, that was my first one. I was really I, – I was, like, glad to have that happen <laughs> after all these years of studying this stuff. Sure. I, yeah. I see – to me, life is but a dream, uh, and the thing coincidences that I 
am so involved with happen in visual reality for the most part, but not in the it, it, not at night when I'm dreaming. And this was my sure. first precognitive dream. Now, you wrote a wonderful book uh, uh, on precognitions. Could you tell us something about the reactions people have had to that dream, to that book? Well, uh, it has uh, been uh, cordial and uh, overwhelmingly positive. You know, uh, I think a lot of physicians uh, and, and patients have these experiences because they think uh, people will think that they're crazy or off balance uh, mentally. They tend to hang on to them. Uh, I have found, however, that if one is willing to go public about this sort of thing, you may be surprised about how the world will come up and greet you. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, after I began to write about these things and my patients knew that uh, I was open toward them, they began to open up to me. I will never forget one morning I was sitting in my office and uh, there was a knock on my door and it was one of my dear favorite patients. Uh, she was a, an attorney, a no-nonsense individual from the Dallas community, and she said, I need your help now. I mean, she was not fooling around. She barged into my office and she said, I had a dream last night and I know I have ovarian cancer. You have to help me. So she told me the dream. She had dreamt that she had what she called three little white spots on her left ovary. Uh, I did an examination. It was completely normal. So I said, let's do a sonogram and get a picture of this. So we did. And I talked to the radiologist and uh, about 30 minutes later, he was uh, back in my office and he was all shaken up. I said, what happened? He said, it's that patient of yours and the sonogram. And I knew what he had found. I said, you saw what she described in her dream, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I did. So he said, uh, as if this came as pleasure to him, he said, but she was wrong about one thing. These <laughs> were these were three little ovarian cysts. They were not cancerous. So she got her diagnosis wrong. And he was sort of happy about that because, he, he, you know, here, here was evidence that she uh, was she was not infallible. She had uh, a hole in her dream, so to speak. And uh, 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 he he took this to be good news because uh, he would he didn't want to admit that uh, anyone could uh, have such a pictorial uh, image of what was going on in their body. And uh, uh I said, well, what's the matter? And he said, she has no business knowing this. So just uh, just to say that there, there will be people who will push back against this sort of thing. And uh, but I think this is no reason to hesitate about uh, uh, going public with this sort of thing. If I might mention one other Brief incidents. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this segment, so we can go on to that in, in, sure. in, in the next segment. But one of the one of the f most most enjoyable parts of your book, to me, one mind, is is uh, the criticisms you level on uh, on the brilliant uh, medical and scientific communities who who have to listen to some of the ideas and stories that we t we tell them yes. you're listening you're, you're listening connecting with coincidence i'm your host dr bernie biteman md we're on the exxon broadcast network our guest is larry dossie author of one mind Patty Conklin grew up in Brooktondale, New York with a unique ability. Unlike others, she could see how the vibration of words and emotions affected the physical body. She discovered how to release stored emotion and facilitate healing. This began today's Conklin method of cellular cleansing. The private practice grew with tremendous results, as did her reputation. More and more people sought her out, bringing her into the home for healing. She soon realized she could even teach this to others, and they could shift perception and thus prevent illness from occurring. Patty Conklin quickly became a frequent keynote speaker, and she developed a curriculum for teaching the Conklin method of cellular cleansing. 
For more information, visit pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. pattyconklin.com. Or call 404-474-0086. That's 404-474-0086. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Back to CC with BB. Yeah, I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and we're on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We are talking with Larry Dossie. Larry, you were going to tell us another story at the end of the last segment. Well, uh, what, the point I want to make is that uh, although we do bump into a lot of skeptics in medicine, as you well know, toward these sorts of uh, visions and dreams and, and so on, I think that... Uh, our profession has a hunger and a real need to go public about this sort of thing. This was uh, brought home to me when I was giving a lecture about five years ago to a group of uh, physicians here in uh, Santa Fe comprised of uh, Harvard-educated doctors. This was sponsored by Harvard Medical School and the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. And they had come here for an update in internal medicine course their wives were here and uh, to do a lot of shopping and so on. And I was asked to give a talk about what the uh, program committee wanted to be as something very unusual. So I had just written the book One Mind, and I thought, that's pretty unusual. I'll talk yep. about that. They yeah. knew that's, that's what I was going to talk about. And they wanted me to uh, go into these uh, uh, very strange uh, uh, experience that physicians sometimes had. And so I'd, I told them my experiences with precognitive dreams and uh, was prepared to make a fool of myself uh, to encourage them to come forward. And it worked. In the Q&A session, one female internist got up and she said, well, I get information in dreams. And uh, she said, I in my dreams, I see the specific values of my patients' laboratory tests before I even order the test. And she said, this is, this is all in dreams. Well, that sort of shut the audience up. But uh, then these guys started telling me their stories. And one led to another. And all of them started out their recitations by saying, you know, I've never told anybody this in my life, but... And then they would launch into these amazing stories about dream visions and stuff that they were embarrassed to talk about. And 
this went on for about 30 minutes, and I thought afterwards, what these gentlemen needed was permission to tell their story. And I thought, this is one of the best things we can do in this profession, is to give doctors, skeptical doctors, materialistic physicians, the permission to open up and be who they are and tell about their experiences that have been tabooed and uh, banished, really, from polite conversation in, in medicine. So it was a learning experience for me to, to be bolder and to talk about these things and not hold back. Well, I've tried to be able to do that about uh, synchronicity, coincidences, and serendipity. Uh, try to get to be able to speak at a noon thing at the uh, University of Virginia, but it just never quite happened because that's the same idea is, is that I want to be able to give people a forum to recognize how serendipity has been such a major way that drug discoveries have been done in medicine, for example, and the way physicians stumble across information that might be useful to them and their patients. But we aren't allowed to talk about them. But you are getting out there, getting physicians to be able to talk about it. I'm, I would like to be able to do something similar with serendipity and synchronicity. Well, I'll bet you that uh, uh, if you just simply put it out there and say, this is what I need and this is what my profession needs also, I'll bet you something will open up. And if I can help uh, facilitate that in any way, Bernie, call on me. Uh, I'll keep that in mind. One, uh, as you were talking about the the woman who came in with uh, what turned out to be ovarian cysts, I need your help, I need your help. It reminded me of a story where I was in my office on the 17th floor at the University of Washington, and uh, a surgeon I knew knocked on my door saying, I need your help, I need your help. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> his, his thing was not a dream, but he went to a, 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 went to a conference in a different town, walked into a coffee shop, and there was his high school girlfriend, and they had not quite finished their romance. And uh, things started up in that coffee shop that looked like they were going to lead to something else. This guy was married with a couple of children. So uh -huh. he, he needed to know what to do about that synchronicity or that serendipity because he had been thinking about her <laughs> and that right, – and that when his when he left, his wife was glad that he left because they were having a fight. So <laughs> it, it, it I just like the image that you're describing. I like comparing what how you think with mine and your experiences because it was the same idea. If somebody opens the door in the medical school and says, "I need your help," <laughs> oh, and they get. Funny. They do give you the dream, and they give me the synchronicity thing. And that's, it's, that's part of the fun of all this. It's how we, we get what we're thinking about. Well, uh, unless uh, uh, people uh, think that this is just, that these experiences happen to uh, doctors <laughs> like you and me, let, let me just tell you that uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Larry Burke, who is an interventional radiologist, has collected... Uh, dreams from women whose life apparently was saved by dreams of breast cancer. And this is an astonishing piece of work. The name of the book is Dreams That Can Save Your Life, Early Warning Signs of Cancer and Other Diseases. And the author is Dr. Larry Burke, B-U-R-K. And th this is an eye-opener. What this tells me is that we're talking about life and death issues here. I mean, these are not little quirky stories that you can laugh at and have fun with and forget the next day. Uh, th these are visions that come to people uh, and uh, revealing to them that they have definite health problems and they better do something about it, such as have a mammogram or go see the doctor for an exam and so on. It's interesting that in this oh, approximately 30 cases he has uh, come across, the person who appears in the dream to tell the woman that they need to take action is usually an authoritarian uh, male figure, usually a father or, or a grandfather who has appeared as a, as a warning agent. And uh, it, it's an absolutely fabulous collection of actual stories which show that we're not fooling around when we talk about these dream visions. They can actually save people's lives. 
Very good. Very good. Uh, let, I want to switch over to uh, or, or generalize to uh, quantum thinking or the non-local consciousness that your book it, it talks about so so often and telling us stories like that not just being aware of our own body which which Larry's uh, Larry Burke's um, work has demonstrated but awareness far beyond ourselves the way you were able to know about that child I know about somebody at work um, but even more than that um, and that, would you would you tell us uh, something about what you mean by non-local consciousness? Well, I uh, uh, have to admit that people in my business uh, who try to philosophize and understand these things use consciousness and mind in, in uh, different ways. Uh, the way I use it tends to be the majority view. Uh, we look at mind as uh, the mental side of of our awareness it has to do with things that we experience uh, intuitions and visions and uh, belief systems uh, it's the stuff of the mind but uh, deep to this I see uh, is consciousness consciousness is what makes mind possible it uh, is the umbrella under which uh, the mental fits uh, consciousness is fundamental uh, it is not produced by the brain, and it's not located in a specific uh, uh, spot, such as the brain or the body, or even to the present. Now, people who stumble across this uh, idea of consciousness uh, can be baffled by it. Why on earth would you think these things? Well, the examples uh, we've given are part of the reason why. We can know things that uh, have not yet happened. We can know things at a distance. Our consciousness can do things that uh, our brain cannot do. Besides that, besides experiences, there are a host of experiments now, which number in the thousands, that have to do with uh, the ability of consciousness to apprehend things that uh, uh, you have no business knowing. Uh, there are several categories of these experiments, such as remote viewing, uh, presentiment experiments, precognition, knowing things ahead of time, abilities to uh, affect the output of random number generators. There are several other experiments uh, and categories that fall into this, uh, this experimental uh, arena. So when we talk uh, about non-local consciousness, we're just talking about consciousness that is not localized to the brain or the body or even to the, the present. So an understanding of how we function mentally has to take into account all of these things that people sometimes may think are a little goofy and rare, but if you unpack them, they are not rare at all. I think this is what these experiments with experiences with these doctors at conferences and so on that uh, ha have to do about how we assess our own consciousness. Yes. Uh, coming to the end of this segment, uh, I like the way you separate experimental from experiential. Uh, it's a nice way of being clear about the, the difference. And much of what you talk about uh, in the book and just now is getting information in, uh, in anomalous ways. And I want to continue that question in our next segment. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guest is Larry Dossie, author of One Mind. audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com, or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com 
or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- 474-0086. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. Dum, 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 dum. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm talking with Larry Dossie, having a great time. And we're talking about One Mind. And one of the questions that came up as I was reading his wonderful book, One Mind, um, was that most of the book was is dedicated to demonstrating in a variety of different ways that people can know things without knowing how they know them in the conventional sense, that there's some way that our minds can find out things that we shouldn't be able to know according to materialistic current scientific thinking. At the Right near the end of the book, Larry, you bring up uh, love. And one of the things that has bothered me about uh, a lot of what I've seen about uh, consciousness is the emphasis on information with not much about feeling. Uh, you, you recognize, as I do, um, that need is a driver, an emotional need of the person about to get the information. Emotional need is a very important driver for getting anomalous information. But I'm wondering about what's in consciousness itself. And if that's not a good question for you, it might not be. But I think love is there too. And I think it's information and love in a general sense. Information and energy is out there somewhere for us to be able to experience. So where does love fit into your concept of non-local consciousness? Well, it's an absolutely crucial aspect of non-local consciousness. Uh, I I happen to agree with uh, D.H. Lawrence, the novelist, who uh, wrote once that uh, hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is individuality. I think this is key to what goes on in these weird uh, precognitive things that we've been talking about. I happen to believe that uh, love is actually a uh, gateway to these experiences because of the fact that if you deeply love someone, then what you experience is a cessation of separation. 
Do you feel that the boundaries between you and the loved one have actually been eradicated through some process? You do not feel separate. You feel at one with them. And so one of the reasons that this is a huge issue in our culture is that we've made a fetish out of individuality. We've said that you have to lift yourself up by your bootstraps, and we've emphasized the importance of the self. Well, love doesn't honor the self. Love honors a cessation of boundaries and separation. Uh, And uh, I just simply think that love is one of those experiences that can help change the state of the physical world. It can say you can know things that someone else knows, and the fact that you love them and you feel sensitive to them and emotionally connected with them makes those sorts of experiences possible. If you're one of these people who really put all the premium on yourself as an individual, you cut yourself off from other people and you make it less likely that these uh, uh, paranormal sorts of experiences are going to happen. So I'm not saying that the purpose is love, of love is to, to experience these things, but love certainly opens the gateway uh, for the possibility that these things are going to happen. I think this is, this is one of the reasons why these things are so common in the life of physicians who deeply, affectionately care for the people they serve, and particularly in nurses. I, I've had a lot to do with nurses in internal medicine, and I can tell you that they're some of the most sensitive people I've ever bump, bumped into as far as these non-local experiences that uh, we've been talking about. Uh, when I first began to write about these issues, I was just uh, welcomed by the community of nurses. I happen to be married to a nurse who uh, is one of the most sensitive people I've ever bumped into with regard to what we've been talking about. So I think love is it. And, and you describe in your book uh, a nurse who who knew when somebody, one of their patients was going to go downhill. And because that nurse was able to detect that, uh, uh, that happening before it's really started to happen, uh, right. a lot of patients' were, life, lives were, were, were saved. That's exactly right. And I want to enlarge this uh, also to other healthcare workers. I'll never forget, uh, after a lecture I gave on this subject once to a, a, a community group, that a woman came up to me and she said, well, I, my job is as a ward secretary. I'm the person who makes out all the lab slips and all of this sort of thing on the ward. She began to have, uh, <clears throat> she began to have precognitive dreams about people on her ward who were going to develop emergencies, cardiac arrests, and that sort of thing while she was on duty. She knew that she was only a ward secretary and nobody would take her seriously so she got, uh, she, she found a friend, a single nurse uh, who also believed in this sort of thing. And so they did a one-two duo. The ward secretary, after one of these precognitive dreams, would reveal her dream to the nurse who was sympathetic, who then would take action to uh, pay particular attention to the person, uh, the patient on the ward who was seen in the dream of the ward secretary. So there are all sorts of weird uh, coalitions that develop in hospitals to to uh, take advantage of uh, these precognitive visions and dreams that people have. It isn't only doctors. Right, that's, and it isn't only ward secretaries. There are people wandering around in, the, in life who can tell you <laughs> that something's going to happen. And one of my favorites is a, a cat named Oscar uh, who was able to uh, to tell when somebody, one of the patients on a ward was about to die. He'd go sit, sit on their bed and the staff knew that they need to prepare for this person's death. Uh, the, the, love, it, love. I can see love and caring in the situations that we're talking about, caring for humanity, particularly in the caring and helping professions. And you've mentioned also in, in, among therapists and patients and psychiatrists and patients, a lot of coincidences like this might happen. But I, And I can see 
with the, what you call telesomatic or I call simulpathic experiences, where those are primarily involving uh, people who are connected, um, the people who feel the pain of a loved one at a distance. But what about what do you do with love and people picking up information like Kekul coming up with um, the uh, the benzene ring in a dream, and that's love of his profession, I guess you would say, or love of what he's doing. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, that's one of the most famous revelatory dreams in the history of science. He was sitting before a fire. And he got drowsy and he began to dream and he saw the, the circular uh, benzene ring structure. Uh, scientists were beating themselves up trying to figure out how these six carbon atoms were arranged. And he saw a snake in a circle biting its tail. And he saw that these things were hooked up in a circular ring structure. And uh, there was a conference after Kekulé's uh, revelation and he revealed to his scientific materialistic chemistry colleagues how he came up with this idea and his words were quite famous he said gentlemen we must learn to dream and he was pilloried by this his uh, skeptical colleagues thought that this would disgrace the community of chemists and uh, they said uh, uh, they hated this this experience of his because scientists just don't dream things up. So I think uh, Kekulé, <laughs> I think his experience uh, won the day because we still talk about it. It's, it's part of the lore of scientific discovery. And uh, by now, he obviously isn't the only person who made discoveries through dreams. I mean, that could be a very long list. That story um, got me much more a believer in archetypes because the the snake eating its tail is an archetype that's been around for for many centuries. Right. And so he was able to dream with an archetype that was able to set up his understanding of a modern chemist for then a modern chemical uh, question. That, that's, that was really cool. But what do you think about archetypes and their places or part of, a, of non-local consciousness? Well, I think they are one of the organizing principles of uh, human consciousness. Uh, they are pretty much... Uh, unconscious. We, we, we don't know when they're doing their work on us, but I think as uh, Jung clearly showed that these are patterns in human thought that are uh, go back uh, to the earliest origins of, of humanity, and they're so, they're so fundamental that we can't get away from them. I mean, you can deny archetypes, but you just become more susceptible to them the more you deny them. So I think it my my question, my question here is the relationship between archetypes and non-local consciousness. Yes, well, they are archetypes are non-local. I think by definition, uh, they uh, uh, are part and parcel of the legacy of humanity, regardless of uh, the time in uh, uh, the time in our history that uh, uh, that they uh, they appear. They're not localized to specific points in time uh, or to space. And this is basically what we mean by a non-local event. I see. I see. Uh, they are someplace. I mean, they exist somehow. And, and that's what I... I, 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 I tend to like think of them as a thing, a pattern that is there someplace, even though yes. it's not, even though it's not in a particular place. And that's the trouble with it. They're all over the place. But we've come into the end of this segment. Uh, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guest is Larry Dossey, the author of One Mind. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, just like sugar is what you're looking for. 
Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxone, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not so secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Bidman, MD. We're talking with Larry Dossie about archetypes, and we run into this funny, funny set of words that archetypes are everywhere but nowhere. Yes, and it's almost impossible to define them. Can I uh, share a uh, quotation from Carl Jung, who uh, brought archetypes uh, to our consciousness? Well, Jung, in his book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, uh, said, and I quote, 
man can try to name love, showering upon it all the names at his command, but still he will involve himself in endless self-deceptions. If he possesses a grain of wisdom, he will lay down his arms and name the unknown by the more unknown, by the name of God. And you know, uh, Bernie, one of the things that I always heard growing up uh, is this euphemism that God is love. And I just always thought that that was uh, pretty talk uh, from ministers and, and, and so on. And it was all religious uh, stuff and had no relationship to uh, average everyday life. I've changed my mind about that. I think this business of love is uh, a gateway to the transcendent. And I think that the transcendent is non-local and that love, by working through the transcendent, opens us, opens us up to these non-local visions and apprehensions that just don't come to us in our average, everyday mind. And it can be love in any kind of direction, uh, love of information. Absolutely. Is, is, uh, is a driver in here. And, then, and, that, and I think love and need are now related to each other. Um, that if I have that need seems to drive finding out information that's necessary. And sometimes that need, I don't know, how would you put need and love together? Because need and love have something each to do with creating some of these experiences. Well, I think we can get a hint by looking at how love uh, and these visions sort of intertwine in people's experience. And I, and I would go back to Larry Burke's uh, uh, collection of women who have had dreams that something was going wrong in their breast and had a, a mammogram and it proved to be an early cancer and they w were okay because it was dealt with early. These uh, revelations come to women generally through an avenue of love. The reason I say that is the person who usually appears in the dream is a dear loved one in these woman, women's experiences. It is usually a father who, uh, or a grandfather who the woman was extremely close to. And so this is a loving character appearing uh, through the power of love in a dream to reveal information that saves a life. I don't know any more vivid example of the, the uh, uh, power of love to inform people in a way that saves their life and helps them to survive. And so I think we can say that love is a survival factor. It serves, serves a survival function uh, in the history of humanity. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not just making this up out of uh, people's experiences. There is profound, profound evidence now from studies of thousands of individuals that loneliness and the lack of love is a huge risk factor for early death and illness. So love has a survival function. I'm not just saying this uh, metaphorically. It can literally be shown to be life-saving. So uh, I hope people don't think that we're just dwelling in poetry and nice talk and metaphors when we talk about the importance and necessity of love and survival and health. That's um, very well stated. Um, I, I, I'm still also thinking about uh, love and information gathering because most of the stories you have in your book about are getting are about getting information in anomalous ways like uh, remote viewing is one example right. another another is uh, uh, savants who come up with amazing pieces of information uh, a, a mathematical genius from um, India uh, wasn't a savant in the in the old sense but somehow was able to come up with information that pushed mathematics ahead without having read much mathematics. This is, for him, it might have been love of mathematics, but what about people who know the dates, who know dates and times and of anniversaries and holidays and stuff back and forth for thousands of years? What about the people who have that kind of information capacity? Well, I think this is one of the clearest examples of the non-local nature of consciousness. I mean, to us, looking on at these uh, savants who are able to do this, we just scratch our heads. There is no explanation in terms of brain function how this could even be possible. But if we switch to a new way of looking at uh, consciousness, 
as non-local, that is to say, without any boundaries whatsoever in space or time, then it becomes axiomatic. You would predict that people would be able to do this if they tap into that form of knowing. And that's why I make such a big deal out of this uh, business of non-local mind. It gives us the only explanation that we have for some experiences such as you've just brought out. A savant who, if you tell him, name me the day of the week that uh, the 11th of December fell on in 1783, they don't even have to think about it. They can say, oh, that was a Tuesday or whatever. And they're right. How do they do this? Not through any brain mechanism that has ever been discovered. I think we should pay more attention to these savants, uh, which you uh, very wisely brought up. Uh, yes, because we have those capacities within us as well. And that's that's so much of what your book is about. And what I am trying to say about uh, coincidences is that they illustrate potentials within us that um, we don't know we have and probably did have at one time. And as we as as we look into the future and we in our last part of this uh, this this show larry we look into the future about the implications of considering that we share a mind together i call it the psychosphere it's a smaller version of non-local consciousness just it, it's localized generally speaking to earth uh, and it time and space are fluid in the psychosphere but not in the universe and no matter how we think about this mind thing, we are all part of one mind in some form or another. And that has great, great implications for the future of the planet and the survival of humanity. What, what would you say about that? Well, I think that is a key to survival. Uh, if you look at the biographies of people who have been able to actualize this non-local awareness and this loving approach uh, in their lives, you find that these people have a sensitive keen appreciation for not just humanity, but for all of life on Earth. These people tend to be extremely sensitive as far as the environment is concerned. Uh, people who are not able to access this non-locality of consciousness and this loving approach to uh, all of life on Earth uh, tend to be uh, possessed of greed and possessiveness without much awareness at all that this fosters the degradation uh, of the species and the, the, the ruination of, of the environment. You know, if we lose the environment, it really isn't going to matter much how much money you have. Uh, and uh, uh, so a larger scope, a larger appreciation comes into existence when people tap into this non-locality. The same thing happens when people emerge from near-death experiences, which are usually uh, uh, characterized by a profound sense of love and connection with all there is. These people come back immersed, having been immersed in love and connectivity and unity with all there is. I just want to say that if we were to experience ways of uniting with this sense, then the fate of our species would be much more secure than it is in now. Well, we yeah. need a we we need a, a more aggressive way of getting this information out. Is my opinion right now, uh, that it's very good to have it in a in a lots of people growing together and having near death like or experiences like near death and ones that approximate it. Right. But we're we're getting to a crucial place where there has to be some excuse the term evan evangelism about one mind about our being part of one mind. We have to awaken more people to this possibility. Things are getting a little bit out of out of whack, especially when I see in China that the surveillance society is coming to be a reality and that phones and and cameras will be tapped to watch people and know who they are by their facial recognition characteristics. So know too much about each one of us. And what I what I envision is a one mind in which we can communicate telepathically with each other, that we can use the love among and between us to know what other people are doing without having to use technology as a step towards knowing in action that we are all part of one mind. I'm really glad you brought that up. You know, some people may think that uh, in this age of social media and Facebook and, and, 
and email and so on that we're always in contact. So why are you making a big deal out of this connectivity thing? We've never been more connected in our life. The problem is that studies now show that people who spend more time on uh, social media tend to feel more lonely and more cut off than people who don't do that. So it's sort of a boomerang thing. The more people rely on social media, the more they deny themselves FaceTime with other people. And so it's not surprising that uh, people who are addicted to social media feel more lonely, more cut off, and more isolated than people who don't do that. So uh, we're, we've, we're coming to the end of this, and I think there's still more for us to be talking about here about one mind and technology. There's a lot that has to be discussed and planned about for the future. Yes. If, Thanks, Larry, very much for being on the show. Thanks, Bernie. You've been listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We've been talking with Larry Dossie.